Hello, and welcome to Nutmegged, a Premier League podcast. Every week, we break down the latest matches, cover off-field drama, and inevitably discuss VAR. I'm Jackie. And I'm Josh. If you enjoy our show, subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at NutmeggedPod or our website, nutmeggedpodcast.com. Please rate and review the show on your preferred platform to help other listeners find us. Hi, and thanks for joining us for our Match Day 3 review episode. Welcome back, Jackie. Thank you. To your own podcast. (laughs) Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? Okay, I'm doing well. So there were some really surprising results this weekend, which we'll dig into. Yeah. There were two draws which you picked, but certainly not the ones that we expected. Nope. The concerns over the handball rule have turned into a full-blown controversy. (laughs) Yeah. And... There were some results that we're going to try not to overreact to, but I'm sure it'll be hard to fight the temptation. Okay. So let's get into it. What a build-up. Let's get into it. (laughs) Okay. Brighton, Man United. Yes. This one was very interesting. Interesting start to the weekend. A 3-2 victory to Man United. Mm -hmm. But if you are, let's say, a football purist who believes the game should end when the full-time whistle blows, (laughs) it was technically a tie. Well... To give Manchester United their due, the incident in question, the handball from Malpe, did occur before the final whistle was blown. So the ref probably shouldn't have blown the final whistle. However, he did, which made it very weird that they then won on a penalty that occurred after the final whistle. Um, and it was, you know, it's a good three points for United. But if you were a Brighton fan, I think you'd feel pretty sick about the way that ended. It had to be a really, really frustrating game for anyone watching who was neutral or in favor of Brighton. You know, I know I felt that way. Brighton hit the woodwork five times. Five. <laughs> which I haven't seen in any game before. No, that was, yeah. Uh, United, was to their credit, won the game and got the three points. Sure, yeah. But I think what happened at the end of the game probably overshadowed what was a really impressive performance from Brighton. Mm-hmm. And I would say another lackluster performance from United. They seem to escape with the win. Yeah, I think even hearing United fans talk about it, most of them, to their credit, were admitting that Brighton were the better team throughout pretty much the entire game. United did take their chances. They scored, you know, I think it technically went down as an own goal, but it was a a free kick for their first. And then Rashford scored a beautiful goal for the second. But they just looked, yeah, a bit sluggish again. They weren't defending well. Honestly, Brighton could have scored, you know, five or six if they had finished even a couple of the ones that were hitting the crossbar, the post, whatever. Um, yeah, United just didn't look to have too much energy. And Brighton were definitely the more forward team. They were attacking more. They were pressing more. They had much more aggression. And they were pretty unlucky not to win or in, and unlucky not to get the draw. I think they deserved the draw when they equalized it. I think it was the 95th minute. Thought that was it, but then there was another twist. And so was United's defense an issue in this game too? Brighton obviously had plenty of chances. Yeah, United's defense hasn't been impressive. I mean, I think they were better last year and I'm sure they'll improve, but Maguire and Lindelof just don't look like a good pair. Neither is very fast. Juan Basaka was getting dragged into the middle a lot to kind of cover them, which left... Brighton players wide open out on their left side. So like Sally March, when he scored, 
I think Bruno Fernandez was technically supposed to pick him up in the box, but he was just basically wide open for that equalizer in the 95th minute. Um, and so their defensive shape was just getting pulled all over the place. Brighton did a very good job of exposing that and unfortunately just couldn't finish. And then next week, both these teams have pretty interesting games. Brighton's going to face off against Everton and mm-hmm. United's going to have a game against Spurs, yeah. which we'll talk more about. The Jose Darby. Which we'll talk more about later this week, so I don't want to get into it too much now. Okay. But I wonder if a week from now we'll be saying Brighton still looks great and United still looks sluggish. We'll see. They got the three points, which is technically what matters. So hopefully they can improve from here. But again, Brighton should feel pretty unlucky after that one. Yeah, and we'll see how they bounce back next week. Yeah. Okay, Crystal Palace, Everton. Mm-hmm. Another two- controversial one. Yeah, a 2-1 victory for Everton. Yes. The handball rule came into play again here. Yes. Maybe before we get into the game, why don't you just touch on the rule, how it's being interpreted and in, in the controversy around it. Sure. So the kind of new, new and improved handball rule basically was supposed to cut out accidental handballs that really affect the game. The old rule basically revolved around deliberate handballs um, being penalized. Now it's basically any handball in the box is a penalty, and that's leading to a lot of controversial decisions. The rule technically says that if the arm is outside, you know, a natural position of the body, then it's a penalty. If, I mean, it's, but that doesn't take into account the natural position your body would be in if you're moving in a football game. So, right. There, the way the rule is being interpreted is basically if your hands are anywhere but glued to the, your side, that's an unnatural position. But you know, when you're running and jumping or twisting and turning, your hands are not glued to your side. You need them for balance. Your arms are out a little bit. And if the ball is hitting you accidentally that way, I think it shouldn't be penalized. But right now it is. So, for example, in this game, Joel Ward from Crystal Palace was in the box defending. The Everton player kind of chipped it up and he, I mean, you can actually see his, he goes to pull his arm back, but his hands are, you know, his arms are kind of shoulder width apart um, or, you know, just outside his shoulders. And that was called as a penalty and Ritarlison scored it. And that's 2-1 to Everton. That's how they won. So it feels really, really harsh that that's how the game was decided. Otherwise it could have been a draw and it feels incredibly harsh that he was pulling his hand, his arm away. Crystal Palace didn't gain any advantage from that. And yeah, it's just, it, it's just a really, really harsh rule now. The refs are interpreting it correctly. VAR is doing its job. But the law itself is really, really unfair, in my opinion, because short of cutting off your arms, I'm not sure how you avoid this. Yeah, it's a strange situation in which it seems like you have to be moving unnaturally to be considered to be in a natural position. Right. And and if you're moving naturally, you're almost by default said to be unnaturally holding your arms, holding your hand. And the issue for me, and we've kind of touched on this, is if the rule stands as, as it does now, I don't know why attackers who don't really see a clear shot on goal mm-hmm. won't just decide to chip the ball they out will. of the defender's arm and, and hope they get a handball penalty out of it. They will, and they should, because, again... Word other than removing his hands, there's nothing else he could have done there. So going forward, if you can't create a chance, you might as well just chip it into the defender's hand. And that speaks to a view which you've, I think, touched on before about the penalties that we're seeing. And I'm just going to double check the stats. 
Yeah, it's been a penalty fest so far this season. Yeah, there were there were seven penalties given this weekend, mm-hmm. twenty so far this season. Uh, currently on track for over three hundred <laughs> for the season as a whole at this wow. pace. Hopefully, it doesn't keep going at this pace. But the previous record for context is one hundred and twelve penalties in a season. Is the record. And that's the record, yeah. And, wow. and last year there were ninety-two, okay. so we're on pace for you know three times as many penalties. It's only three weeks into the season, and I'm sure they'll adjust somehow. But uh, an historic number of penalties <laughs> if it keeps going this way. Yeah, it's insane, and it pretty much says you should just add all the penalty takers to your fantasy team and screw everything else. Yeah, I put Jamie Vardy in yeah. this week after he got his <laughs> three his, his three this past yeah. weekend. Uh, all right, but let's go back to the game. So so 2-1 to Everton. Mm-hmm. What did you take away from that match? Yeah, I did think Everton were the better team and they created more chances, but um, that to win like that just felt really harsh on Crystal Palace. But I think Everton deserved their win based on how they played. Um, they look really good. I think Calvert-Lewin's turning into a real solid striker and Ancelotti's doing a great job. Yeah, Everton still technically... Top of the table or tied for first with a bunch of other teams on six points. Yeah, I think it's Leicester, Everton, and Liverpool now, right? Yeah. And, and Everton, and we'll say, again, we'll save this for the preview episode. I don't want to put you on the spot, but Everton plays... Nine points. Uh, nine points, sorry. Yeah. Yes, yes, three games, and I, I, I can't do maths. <laughs> <laughs> but Everton plays Brighton next week. Do you think they'll continue their unbeaten streak? Yes, I do. That's a preview for the next episode. <laughs> going to hold you to that All right. <laughs> opinion later this week. Oh, no. Okay. West Brom, Chelsea. <sighs> yes. A, a, a game that we thought would be... Must we? Again, we, we must for the fans. Uh, a game that we thought should have been, no offense to West Brom and its fans, an easy win for Chelsea. And like some games last year... We don't do easy wins. Well, Not clear, anymore. Clearly. But, but like some games last year that should have been wins that went badly for Chelsea. This one started that way. <laughs> Chelsea went into halftime yep. 3-0 down to West Brom. And uh-huh. I think everybody was stunned. Uh, I don't think you can really be thrilled with the one point coming our way from if you're a Chelsea fan, but I think you can certainly be encouraged by the fact that somehow they pulled together and they scored three goals in the second half. Yes. I'm going to try to be as objective as possible. In the first half, I wanted to murder every one of Chelsea's players. Yeah. Um, objectively yeah objectively but yeah it was garbage they were terrible Marcus Alonso was directly responsible for two goals sounds like he also had a huge falling out with Lampard at halftime or after the game so I doubt we'll be seeing too much more of him but I mean he was just atrocious he got absolutely burned by one of their center backs at one point in a sprint even though he started about five yards ahead of him um, Thiago Silva started his, you know, his Premier League debut as captain, made a very uncharacteristic mistake for the second goal. The whole team looked rattled. Abraham and Werner missed pretty good chances that could have put Chelsea ahead. It was basically everything that could go wrong did go wrong in that half, including the disgusting pink kit that should never be talked about or worn ever again. <laughs> I think, I think it should just be burned after that performance. It looked less like Crystal Palace than we thought based on the images heading into the game and, and the sort of sneak peeks. It was less Crystal Palace and more Pepto-Bismol, I think. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know what's better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the first half was terrible, but you should give credit to West Brom because they were very good. I thought their 
defensive shape was good. They didn't give Chelsea too many chances. And going forward, I thought Pereira and Diangana were fantastic and basically, like I said, gave Alonso a nightmare. And they were just really, really hardworking, pressing, just harrying the defenders into mistakes. And they finished very well and were very clinical with their three shots on target. They scored three goals. So very, very good. Now, was this a new and improved West Brom versus the first couple of games they played? What changes did they make, if if any? It was a slightly more organized West Brom, I think, defensively. They were more solid. And I think Pereira and Diangana are just kind of adjusting to the Premier League and kind of building up some rhythm together. I also think their their third goal, which was up from a corner, typical Chelsea, um, was really well worked. It seemed like it was a you know planned routine on the corner. And they targeted Alonso, who didn't follow his man, and they scored. So it was just good coaching, I think. And and in terms of good coaching, I think you do have to give a little bit of credit to Frank Lampard for making the subs he did at halftime. It was a classic, if you go back to last season, uh, you know, a couple of interesting changes. And once again, the, the young and up-and-coming players carried the team. Yeah, so Azpilicueta came in for Alonso at left back, which was just necessary because Alonso had a nightmare. And then... Calm Hudson Odoi came on, replaced Kovacic, and they switched from a 4-2-3-1 to a 4-3-3, which put Angolo Kante as the pivot and Mason Mount and Kai Havertz as the two eights in midfield with Hudson Odoi, Werner, and Abraham up top. Um, and it worked well. They got back in it. I think Mason Mount's goal changed everything because he just basically looked like, screw it, took a really long shot that flew in. And yeah. from there, everybody looked like, okay, maybe there's a chance. The team looked pretty flat for 55 minutes, and yep. all of a sudden, that was the spark. Yep. So, and then from there, I think basically it was just dominant from Chelsea. I think they had something like 80 or 90% possession in that latter portion of the game. They were just trying and trying and trying to score. Um, Hudson Adoy, I think, added a lot. He was pretty direct, added some speed. It was like, an important game for him based on what yeah. we've been hearing about his place in the squad. And Yeah, I think he proved rumors. that he should stick around and can really bring something different to players like Mount and Werner who've been playing wide. Um, hopefully he'll be patient because I think if he plays like this, he'll get a lot of chances. And just in fairness to the West Brom fans out there who think that maybe that should have been a 3-2 win for West Brom because of a potential handball issue with Kai Havertz's goal. Yeah. Um, put their minds at ease, please. Well, I don't think it'll put your minds at ease because <laughs> you would have preferred the win. But under this new rule, and I, I, again, I think this rule is ridiculous, but technically that was correct that Chelsea's third goal stood because Havertz, basically the ball flew in, into the box, came off of Havertz's chest and into his arm, which is a handball, and then the West Brom player was able to clear it. Now, I didn't clear it very well, and it came back into the box from which Chelsea scored. But because his handball didn't lead immediately to the goal, as in the West Brom player cleared it after the handball, technically it counts. Again, it's another weird aspect of this rule, and I think a lot of this needs to be changed. But that is the rule as it is, so that's why it counted. Okay, moving on to Burnley-Southampton. A one nothing win for Southampton. Yes. I had to try really hard not to say victory there because I say that too many times. A one nothing win for Southampton. Okay. Changing it up. Tell me what you thought of that game. It was a good kind of relaxing game after Chelsea, West Brom, gave me a heart attack. 
Is that code for boring? It's not the most exciting, but you know, there was at least a goal. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a thriller. And Southampton goal. scored after I think five minutes. Danny Ings scored, and then not a lot happened after that. Um, Burnley are having some personnel issues. They still don't have their first choice center backs. James Tarkovsky apparently has a toe injury, although that kind of sounds like code for wants to leave because I think Leicester are also bidding for him. Um, yeah, and Sean Dyche has been pretty public saying they need more players and they need help and they need just more depth. I don't think he made any substitutions. I think he's trying to make a point you know, that they need help in the transfer window. There's another week in the transfer window internationally, two weeks domestically. I do expect that they'll add at least a couple of players. So there's just not a it's it's not great at Burnley right now. They've got off to a bad start, but hopefully they'll bring in players and I still think they'll be fine. They're just not going to be particularly exciting. And as an aside, how does the pace of transfers at this point in the transfer window compare to what you would have expected? I've actually been surprised at how many transfers have still happened just because I expected with COVID and no real preseason and just the financial implications of shutting down and no fans. I expected a lot of clubs to be really, really careful, but there's still been a pretty good amount of business. I think every club except for maybe West Ham have brought in players. So it's still been a pretty active market, but I think in this last week or two, you'll see a lot more loans than you will sales. And I think clubs, I know just speaking from a Chelsea perspective, I know they're really trying to get rid of, several players they have way too big a squad and I think they've been unable to sell a lot of those players this summer and I think you'll see a lot of them go out on loan instead of being sold yeah that makes sense Mm -hmm. moving on to my favorite United Sheffield United (laughs) versus Leeds United Uh which one of those Uniteds do you prefer Sheffield United because they have Ethan Ampadu I mean, two teams that I don't really have a problem with, so... <laughs> You're going to find yeah, some way to yeah. differentiate them. I like them both. They're both good. Well, Leeds United, probably mm-hmm. the more exciting of the two Uniteds in this case. So far this season. One, one zero versus Sheffield United. They did. Late, um, late winner from Patrick Bamford. I'm getting tongue-tied, saying United so many times. Yes. They Yeah, they left it late, but got the three points. And they didn't so. let any goals in. The, yeah. the defense hasn't really been a theme for them the first couple of weeks. I wonder if they really focused on that this week in training. I think Leeds are full of surprises. They, uh, after two 4-3 thrillers, decided to pull off a 1-0 just to surprise everyone. But yeah, they were, they were good. It wasn't a terribly exciting game, but both teams defended well. Um, the Leeds goalkeeper made a very, very crucial save, and then they scored right at the end. So looked good. Um I think Sheffield United, it looks worse on paper for them than it is. They have zero points. I think they're dead last right now from three games. But I thought this was probably their best performance so far. Um, Ampadu, actually, I thought, I think he was man of the match for them, did defend really well. He came in, has kind of fit right in. But in general, I thought they defended pretty well, other than obviously that last goal. They just don't really have a regular goal scorer. And I know that they're trying to bring someone in. I think they're looking at Brewster from Liverpool. So 
hopefully they can work on that because otherwise they're still a, still a good team. Okay. And again, I never want to cannibalize from our preview episode later in the week. <laughs> but uh, Sheffield United is going up against Arsenal this coming week. Interesting. So Stay tuned to hear what we think about that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess you won't share yet, so I won't even ask. But, but I was, was going to ask if you think they're going to be pointless again next week. I think it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk about that in more <laughs> it detail. It sounds so harsh to call a team pointless. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's keep going. Let's. Spurs and Newcastle. Okay. A 1-1 draw. Yes. And I think that Jose might finally have the ammo he needs to recreate the siege mentality within the team that he <laughs> likes to have. Yeah, I mean, for once I can really sympathize with Jose. He, uh, look, as a Chelsea fan, it's hard for me to give Spurs credit, but... That's how you know I'm sincere when I say that they got screwed this weekend and they should have won and it was really, really harsh. It was, so Spurs were winning 1-0. I think it was the 96th minute. Ball went into the box. Andy Carroll headed it and Eric Dyer jumped up to try to win the header. His arms were, you know, to the side of his body as they would be when you're jumping to try to get leverage and the ball hit him basically in the back of the arm, and he didn't really even know where the ball was. Um, and I think it was incredibly harsh for Spurs. Talk about injuries. Son went off at halftime with a hamstring injury. Yep. How big of a deal is that? I think it's a pretty big deal. I mean, they have so many games. Spurs play Chelsea Tuesday in the League Cup. They play in the Europa League on Thursday. They play Manchester United on the weekend. So they're playing just a ridiculous schedule right now which Jose has mentioned, um, but it is it is crazy. And losing one of their best players at any time is bad, but with this many games and this many important games, it's, it's a real blow. Um, I think the main concern is that he won't be the only one because with this many games, there are bound to be more muscle injuries. And if you're, if you're losing Son, who can play kind of as a false nine and is one of the more reliable goal scorers in the team, Without him, you're putting even more pressure on Harry Kane, who is already injury prone. So until they find a good backup for him and until Gareth Bale's fit, they're putting a lot of pressure on an injury prone player. And for anyone who might not know, the reason Spurs have a much worse schedule than everybody else now is pretty much that they're trying to qualify for the Europa League. Yeah, they're playing Europa League qualifiers. So they finished sixth and because Arsenal won the FA Cup, um, Spurs go into or went into the qualifying rounds of the Europa League, which means basically it's a it's a playoff to get into the group stage, um, which is why they're playing such random teams from Macedonia and Bulgaria because it's the teams that are haven't yet qualified for the group stage of the Europa League. Right, and, and if you're Jose and if you're Spurs, how do you prioritize when you have such a big schedule? Obviously, I think the Premier League comes first. What's more important, Europa League qualifiers or the Carabao Cup? He's talked about that this week and whether or not it's mind games, I don't know, but he's basically implied they're going to throw the Europa or the sorry, the League Cup game against Chelsea. Um because the Europa League is so much more valuable just in terms of prize money to the club. So I think they're definitely prioritizing European football. Okay. Not much else to say about them this week. We'll wait and see how the week pans out. Yeah, I would just say I was impressed with Steve Bruce from Newcastle, the manager who admitted that even though his team clearly benefited from the 
handball rule and the penalty decision this weekend, he very publicly said, you know, I'm obviously happy to get a point, but the rule is nonsense. And that was pretty brave of him to kind of support everyone else, even though he directly benefited from it. So um, just goes to show how unpopular this new interpretation of the handball rule really is. Yeah, and, and I guess one more for you, actually. So in the first week, Spurs looked pretty sluggish. We talked about that. Last week, they had a pretty resounding victory. Five goals to two. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was one. I yeah, can't two. actually remember. Mm-hmm. Okay, two. This week, even though the handball will overshadow the result as usual and, and Jose will make sure of that, mm-hmm. do you think that a 1-1 draw against Newcastle or even a one nothing win against Newcastle was a loud enough performance for Spurs or do you think they're not where they need to be still? They're not where they would want to be, but I think given how many games they're playing, a 1-0 win would have been fine. I think it was deserved. I think they probably could have scored two or three if they were more clinical. So they'll probably be disappointed that they didn't score enough to make that penalty worthless. But I think given they played Thursday night and again on Tuesday and then Thursday, a 1-0 win would have been fine. Um, now, unfortunately, it's two points dropped. Yeah. All right. Let's keep going. Okay. Manchester City versus Leicester. Yeah, it's one of the big ones of the weekend. And one of the big ones. <laughs> I don't think anybody would really have expected the result of 5-2 victory for Leicester City. Three penalties. Yep. Three goals for Jamie Vardy, two of them penalties. Mm-hmm. Manchester City looked pretty sluggish for a, a lot of that game. Yeah, they looked like they didn't have a lot of ideas. Um, Leicester basically did a kind of perfect, executed a perfect game plan where they defended well and sat back a little bit and then countered against City's high defensive line. Jamie Vardy broke into space. He's incredibly fast, as everyone knows. And they won three penalties because the City defenders let them get goal side and then just brought them down as they were about to score. So in terms of game plan, Brendan Rodgers, it was perfect. But um, City didn't really have an answer for it, Manchester City. And I think their defensive problems are well known and all three penalties were just clear penalties. People, defenders bringing down players from behind. Um, But the fact that they got into those situations in the first place, I think, is the problem. Yeah. And it actually started out pretty positively for them. You know, they were 1-0 up. Yeah, Mara scored a beautiful goal, I think, four minutes in. Yeah, and it kind of looked like they were were on their way. And obviously, it uh, kind of just caved in on them. It was the most goals Pep's ever had scored against him Mm -hmm. in his 600-plus games as a manager. Yeah. Uh, It was the first Premier League game in history, I think, to have three penalties in it. (laughs) And it it was also Leicester City's best start to the Premier League season because they're now undefeated through three games for, I want to say, close to 100 years or something like that. Yeah, they look look good. It was a pretty monumental game from that standpoint. Yeah, Jamie Vardy had a blast. (laughs) Yeah, he he had a good time. Uh, Talk about injuries for a minute. Manchester City, obviously, the defensive problems are well documented. They are missing a couple of key players on yeah, attack. they are. And also touch on how Leicester so effectively overcame the loss of Ndidi, which maybe it will become more of a problem over the next 11 weeks that he's still out, but obviously wasn't in the first week. Yeah, so to answer your first part, um, City were missing. So they have a few players out injured, notably Aguero, who's still injured from the end of last season with a knee issue. And then just this week, Gabriel Jesus, who's effectively his backup, got injured. Um, and he'll be out for a few weeks. So they're lacking basically a striker. 
they had Liam Delap come off the bench, who's a 17-year-old, you know, really promising academy striker, but he's not obviously not the experience to fill in for Aguero. They also had a few other players test positive for COVID. Um, so Gundogan, for example, was out. But yeah, it was mostly just Leicester putting pressure on, in particular, Rodri at the base of City's midfield, not letting him have time to dictate play, to make the short passes out to De Bruyne and Sterling, etc., to really get started. So they were just kind of waiting, putting pressure on him, picking off his passes, and then kind of springing into action and releasing Vardy into space where he's so fast and so effective. Okay. And Indeedy, Felista? Yeah, so far, Mendy has filled in there, and he's doing pretty well. So I, I still think that'll be a loss, but so far it's been going well, and they did sit back a little bit more to protect the defense, which I think helped, but yeah, so and, far so good. And City complained about that a little bit, about how Leicester was kind of boxed in, and yeah. then maybe they weren't playing football. I don't think that's necessarily fair. I think it's it's their job to find a way around that, but maybe we'll see more of that from Leicester over the coming weeks. Yeah, Rodri in particular was pretty salty after the game. I mean, maybe as expected, they're probably not used to losing 5-2. But yeah, I I didn't think that was quite fair, saying they didn't really play football and we were confused because they didn't really try to attack us because they They won. won (laughs) It was effective, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's not one way to play, so, you know, suck it up. Okay, well, let's keep going. Okay. Probably, I would say, aside from the Chelsea game and the Manchester City game, Let's move on to the other really shocking result from the weekend. West Ham versus Wolves. Yes. Uh, a 4-0 to zero win for West Ham. Yes, that is 4 for West Ham. Mm-hmm. <laughs> zero for Wolves. Yes. Uh, many were talking about how this might be West Ham's best chance to gain points before November. Yeah. They came out like they Did had they ever? To, yeah. they, they came out like they had something to prove. Obviously, pretty easily won the three points. Who knows if they're going to win any other points from now until November, but maybe it feels like the narrative's shifted a little bit, or is it too early for that? Yeah, I don't know that you should read so much into it, but you should just say it was a great performance from West Ham, and they played really well, and they fully deserved to win, and they looked really good. I thought Declan Rice looked awesome, breaking up play, starting the attack. I thought... Antonio was basically a nightmare for Wolves centre-backs. Jared Bowen had two beautiful goals. They were pretty good all over. I was really impressed with West Ham yesterday. So David Moyes is doing well working from home. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) making it work like everybody else. Uh, Let me ask you, was this a better or a more positive performance from West Ham? Or is, is something going on with Wolves, they look a little bit anemic? Was this more negative for them than a positive for West Ham? It was both, and I don't want to take anything away from West Ham because they were better. They you know, were first to every ball. They really fought and played very well, so I don't want to take anything away from that. They were very good and probably the best they've looked in a long time, but it was an especially poor Wolves performance too. Um, they're, you know, they've played with a back three and two wingbacks for as long as they've been in the Premier League, but their two wingbacks right now are different than they were last season. Um they had Vinagre on the left and Semedo from Barcelona in his first game on the right. And typically when Wolves are defending, they have essentially a back five because those wingbacks drop back. And the wide forwards actually kind of help protect as well. So it's a pretty solid block defensively. 
these two wingbacks were really high up the pitch, did not get back. So they were forcing the back three to kind of get pulled in every direction wide. And so there were just gaps all over where West Ham really exploited them. And Traore wasn't all that effective this week. He got subbed no, yeah. relatively early. Yeah, maybe he was a little bit isolated, he and Jimenez up front. but Maybe it'll take him time to get used to playing in his original position again. Yeah, and I think West Ham just did a great job nullifying them and exploiting their gaps in defense. So it wasn't just one player for Wolves. The whole collective thing just didn't work. All right, let's keep going. Fulham, Aston Villa. A 3-0 victory to Aston Villa. Mm-hmm. Fulham still on zero points for the season. Yeah. Break that match down for us. It was a great day for Villa. They looked really good. I think all of their signings, their new signings, have fit in really well. They've kept the core of last team that stayed up, but or of last year, sorry, but um, have added in positions where it really counts. So they look very strong, and it's, it was a good performance. That said, Fulham look terrible, and unfortunately, I think are extreme favorites for relegation, um, and basically just need to fix their defense if they're going to have any chance. Yeah, and it's it is a pretty abrupt turnaround for Aston Villa. Obviously, we're only three weeks into the season, two games for Aston Villa, but they're right up there at the top of the table, or pretty close to it, six points with a game in hand. Do you think this is something that can last? Yes, in that I think they will be safe this year, and I think they'll be vastly improved over last season. I don't think a perfect record will last, and I think as soon as they play, with no disrespect to Fulham or Sheffield United, but Sheffield United were a man down for most of the game, so I think as soon as they play a tougher team, they're still going to struggle a little bit more. Um, But it's a great start to the season, and like I said, their new signings, Matty Cash right back, Ollie Watkins up front, and the goalie, I mean, Martinez, they all look to have fit in really well. So I think it's they've done a good job. Do you expect Fulham to make any more signings in the next couple of weeks? Yeah. What can they do to shore up some of the holes that they've currently got in their team? They are, I'm pretty sure, currently trying to sign centre-backs. So that's definitely a major weakness in the squad. So it seems like they're pretty desperately trying to sign new ones. I think one just failed a medical they thought was coming. So... Sounds like things the aren't keep coming. going to plan, yeah. But um, it's definitely something they're looking at for sure. Just as an aside, just a, a really random thought I had watching that game, and we kind of touched on this. But <laughs> I'm the, nervous. But, but the, <laughs> the camera angles that they used in the game weren't the same as the ones that you usually see for whatever reason, and it was just much closer to the action, and. It was just a much faster game than I appreciated. Usually when you watch games, it's a little bit, I don't know, more free-flowing, but a little bit further away, so it looks a little bit slower. Um, but it was it just kind of struck me how fast the game was. Grealish was faster than I ever imagined. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know, I was just kind of taken aback by the pace of the game. I don't have anything to add to that. I will say that I think Maddie Cash looks like Jack Grealish's stunt double, so should Grealish ever need one, he already has him in his team. Yeah. I can't believe he has the same haircut and basically face. Yeah, he looked pretty much the same, <laughs> same facial hair, same yeah. face, same kit, but that makes sense because they're playing for the same team. Yes, it does. All right. 
Let's move on to the last one. Okay. Liverpool. Okay, Dad. <laughs> Liverpool versus Arsenal. Okay. A 3-1 win for Liverpool. Yes. It started as a 1-0 lead for Arsenal due to a rare mistake from Robertson. Mm-hmm. Short-lived. But it was short-lived because Liverpool scored pretty much right away to tie it up. What did you think of that game? I thought it was a good game. I think Liverpool are just a better team right now, and I think they're still the best team in the league. I think Arsenal look good. They look pretty defensively solid. I still think the way they try to insist on playing out from the back is risky, especially against a team pressing like Liverpool. But I think Liverpool just have the better players and took their chances and just created more chances. I think it was a rare mistake from Robertson that gave them their goal, but otherwise Lacazette had a few good opportunities that he couldn't finish. Allison made some good saves and Mane and Jota at the end just put theirs away. So it's, yeah, I think Liverpool were just the better team. Yeah. And, and, you know, we might be saying that a lot yeah. this season. Same yeah, they're as last a very season. good team. It doesn't seem like anybody's really had enough time or, or, or transfer activity to really topple them in such a short space of time. Yeah, when you have a team that's as dominant as they were last season and then basically no break, I don't think it's surprising that no one's really caught up yet. I do think teams will get closer to them as the season goes on, I think. Chelsea, Arsenal, United, City will improve. I, I think a lot of the teams, Everton, will be closer to Liverpool, but I still think they're the best team in the league. They've added two good players and Thiago and Jota, who just provide a little bit more depth. And yeah, I think the only issue is them keeping up their momentum, but like without a preseason for everyone else and you know time on the training ground to work on new patterns of play and kind of catch up. I don't think it's surprising that they're going to be dominant again. And touch on Thiago briefly. It seems like he's already encountered a small injury. One of the question marks around him, it's been around his longevity, around his durability and how much he can actually play. I don't know if there's anything you you, you read into from the fact that he's already injured. No, I think obviously they're well aware of his injury record. I don't think he's ever played more than something like 20 games in a league season. Um so he he does miss a lot of games through injury. He's not the most durable player. However, I think based on his price and his reputation and just his skill, I'm sure Liverpool took that into account and you know think he's worth it for even you know the, however many games he does play a season, he's worth it. And they have the depth to cover. I mean, they had Fabinho and Wijnaldum and Keita in the midfield today. Henderson was out too. They coped just fine. So I don't think it's a big deal. Okay. So there you have it. That's our wrap of the match day three games. Yep. I'm going to ask you one more question. All right. We haven't touched on fantasy as frequently or as regularly as we probably will end up doing. Yeah, because we're terrible at it. Well, I'm I'm doing okay. (laughs) Okay, I'm terrible. I'm doing okay. Uh, And at some point when we feel less shy about them, we can share our running scores for the season and how we're doing. Let me catch up first. and And we can invite others to do the same. But tell me which fantasy player you are adding after this week of games and which fantasy player you're dropping. Adding Dominic Calvert-Lewin because he is tied with Jamie Vardy for leading scorer in the league. Still relatively affordable. I think he was like 7.3 or something around there. I think he was 7.1 when I bought him. Okay, smug. (laughs) But he's still relatively affordable and seems kind of like a no-brainer right now. He's scoring almost every game. 
to purchase him, I got rid of Callum Wilson, Newcastle. Um, basically just because it was a price thing. But I'm looking at... I don't, I'm weighing up how long I want to keep Aubameyang right now because I've captained him for the past three weeks and that's probably my fatal mistake because mm-hmm. I jinxed him. Yeah. But he's not done very well and... Who would you replace him with? The problem is, as soon as I drop him, I know he'll score a hat trick. So Yeah, probably. I guess I would replace him with Mane, similarly priced, or wait until somebody like Pulisic is fit and bring him in. And then I could upgrade elsewhere because he's a lot cheaper. Um, so I have my eye on that for future weeks, but right now I just brought in Calvert-Lewin. How about you? Okay. For me this week, I brought in Jamie Vardy, mm-hmm. which I always hesitate to bring in a player after they've had a smashing week because you never want to react too strongly to weeks that they're probably not going to repeat that much. But going back to what you said earlier, penalties. I, I think the I think the <laughs> handball rule is going to conjure up so many penalties and Jamie Vardy is, is pretty much always going to play for Leicester. He's always going to take those penalties when he's on the field. Yeah. Uh, I still think that there's a lot of upside. I don't think people fully appreciate the extent of the penalty and of the handball rule impact on the penalties uh, so, yeah, we'll so, see. So, if it continues like this, definitely. Yeah, so he's who uh, he is who I'm adding. Okay. And to pay for him, I dropped, sadly, Werner. You know, <sighs> Werner from Chelsea. He's interestingly, I think, one of the most owned strikers in the league. When, when he starts to score goals, I'll probably put him back in my <laughs> yeah. team. But for now... <laughs> now that you've lost him, yeah, he'll but, probably start scoring. Yeah, but for now, I've, I've taken him out. Sad. Okay. Timo, we're waiting for you to score. Yes. And we hope it happens next week. Yes. Okay, that's it for this week. Okay. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you on Friday with our Match Week 4 preview. See you soon. If you enjoyed our show, subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at NutmegPod or our website, nutmegpodcast.com. Please rate and review the show to help other listeners find us. Cheers. Cheers.